0: Alright everyone, it is now the back half of opening weekend for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which means if you're listening to this, you've hopefully gone and seen it. If you haven't seen it, please stop, go watch it, come back. But I'm super excited to dive into this, as we've talked about in the predictions and in all the episodes leading up, this is the first new content of 2023, and we'll get into it in a second, but I was excited by it, I really enjoyed it, but I'm gonna let Katie kick it off as always, so give us your initial thoughts, Kate, because we have a lot to talk about in this episode.
1: Oh yeah. So if any of you are following me on Twitter, you know, walking out of that movie theater, I gave Ant-Man an 8 out of 10, I would say... In the meantime of thinking about it, digesting it, it's only dropped to a 7.5 out of 10 in my opinion. I do like having a little time to digest, take it all in. I thought, you know, visually, and this is probably one of the first movies I really thought about this, I was like, wow. This is almost all CGI, right? Like, think about this. This is a whole realm that, and I mean, I'm sure, like, Thor and all that, but, like, there's not really a lot of buildings yeah. that they're inside other than Kang's, like, area, so I'm like, they're physically, like, this is a lot of CGI. For the most part, it looked really, really good. I agree. It was very well done. I thought it was weird. It needed to be. Um, I've been reading a lot of complaints about that, and that's a like a lot of people are comparing it to Eternals because I guess a lot of people didn't like Eternals because it was different. First off, you all know I love it. I loved Eternals. Second, I love this movie because it needed to be different. We're in the quantum realm. Like, we're not supposed to be just, like, doing the same old, same old here. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah.
0: Uh, first of all, me too. And then to just react to what you just said there... Yes, it was weird, but it wasn't like... All right, we all know how I felt about Thor Ragnarok as time went on. I rated it as one of my lower movies of... Ragnarok? Sorry,
1: not Ragnarok. Love and Thunder. Okay, I was like, whoa, Ragnarok's a national treasure. No,
0: sorry. (laughs) Apologies, Ragnarok is up there as, like, one of the best of all time.
1: That's what I thought.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you for catching that egregious blunder because that was embarrassing, Love and Thunder, as you all know, I rate it as one of my lowest movies of all of Phase 4. That was weird in a bad way. It was trying too hard to be weird, right? And you felt it. Yeah, to be out of the box. Yeah, this was just naturally weird in a good way. And it felt good. And it was actually funny. Now, is that because, and this is no shade to Chris Hemsworth, but is that because Paul Rudd is a natural comedian and that's what he spent his career doing? Sure. But also, was it just written really well? Yeah. It was a really solid movie. I genuinely enjoyed it. I liked really getting to dive more into the Pim Van Dyne family. I liked seeing the dynamics. I liked that she called him Grandpa Hank. It was making me so happy. So I like that at its core, you know, the movie was about this family and their adventures in it and learning about it and Janet's betrayal and like learning about her experiences and all that for like 30 years. And that was really fun. But at the same time, like there was this huge, like we were in a completely new realm. Kang was like, I mean, Jonathan Majors. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he was, you know, good as He Who Remains, but he had, like, what, 20 minutes of screen time? Not even. He was in, like, a half an episode. Yeah. But, like, as Kang, the Conqueror, not He Who Remains, I mean, he just stole every scene. He was magnificent. And it just was such a solid movie. My one complaint is that I did not think they were going to defeat him. I thought that was almost too easy, in a sense because I get that they're setting it up for kind of what we weren't really expecting in the Council of Kangs, but I almost wish that there had been some sort of larger consequence coming out of it besides just, oh, the Conqueror's dead, now we're gonna come. Like, I don't want to say I wish a character had died because that sounds morbid and awful, but I wish there had been some sort of like consequence coming out versus like, the whole family coming in like out of the quantum home completely intact and like you know yeah maybe a little traumatized but nothing outside of that that's really like dark and morbid
1: but i think we kind of needed that i don't know that's just my two cents well if we're skipping right to the end my thing was that you know i was torn a little bit i kind of understand what you're saying i didn't hate that they made it out of there because of hope coming back for him yeah i think if he would have beat him on his own Um, And I'm not saying this against Ant-Man at all. Clearly, he showed, you know, why he's an Avenger in this film. 100%. But, you know, I think if, you know, with Hope coming back, I think it reinforced their Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, was very fitting. Because I did think he was going to die. I thought they were going to lose. And she came back for him. So I thought, you know, that was worthwhile. The big thing for me was actually at the very end, before any credits... We go back to that montage we kind of get at the beginning with Scott's, like, living life, you know? And the whole time, I obviously had gone and seen this with my boyfriend, and I the whole time, I was like, something bad's happening. I was like, something's not right. Something I was ready for, like, just, like, I don't know, a little something. And, I mean, we did have a small moment where he was like, or I could have just, like, unleashed an entire, like... But I was expecting like something in the background to not be right. Like they didn't make it back into the right place or they did like something was screwed up. And I was expecting a little something bigger from the actual end of the movie itself, which I don't feel like we got.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, you mentioned how he talked about, like, oh, maybe I'm really messed up. I think I was expecting that to pay off. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, obviously we got the Council of Kings introduced and, like... But that's an end credit. Right, right. So I don't count that as part
1: of the movie, you know?
0: But, like, now we know, like, what the dynasty is gonna be, right? It's gonna be the Council of Kings, which I was not expecting, but I'm really excited. I think that's gonna be, like, really intense. But... To your point, like, other than the Council of Kangs, like, I kind of wish we had gotten, let me put it this way, I wish that we had gotten something in 616 that showed that ramification. And I understand it's not going to be an immediate payoff, but like, I just needed, like, not something earth shattering because we're not there yet. We're a few years away. There's a lot of movies and shows that have to happen between now and then before something earth shattering, but give me a little morsel. Show me that there's a little tear in the multiverse. Show me that you know i don't know but give me something in 616 not just somewhere out there is the council of kings and they're coming you know no that's
1: that's how i felt um and that's why i said you know i was okay with how the battle ended i was okay with them defeating him because you know the his whole point was I see time. You, if you defeat me, like, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. He was playing, like, a weird mind game with them, but it was still true. Yeah. So that made sense to me. And I was okay with how that went, but because I didn't feel like we got that payoff at the very, very end of it, I was like, okay, so didn't, I didn't love that ending. I wanted to see a little something. I wanted to, like, even if it was just, like, a moment where Ant-Man stops talking, or he just kind of moves on, or the camera itself just pans away from him to something like anything else that kind of is just that small inclination that something went wrong and that the effects of what we saw in the quantum realm is playing out in our world because and we'll get into this But, you know, Janet confirms the quantum realm is literally running parallel with ours. It's underneath our world. So you would think there would still be ramifications somewhere within all of it.
0: I was shocked that that multiversal transportation device that he had exploding did not have larger ramifications on the multiverse. I I was like, all right, cool. Like, are we seeing another end of Loki moment where, like, is this just going to exponentially you know, grow the multiverse and create new universes. Like, that's almost, I was like, oh, that's got to be big. And then it had zero effect. I'm like, you can't just tell me that because it's in the quantum realm that it's not going to, like something that powerful exploding and sending that kind of energy out into the multiverse. Just does nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it does appear, and now we didn't obviously get confirmation of this, but it does appear that if you look at parts of the film, there's like that, yellow steam almost coming down in columns from the i don't feel comfortable using the word ceiling um because it's really their sky but if you think that this world is technically underneath ours it really is sort of a ceiling i suppose and you see it coming down in multiple areas multiple clips of the film and everything you see it even in the trailers and i do remember going into it some i had seen a theory somewhere of someone you know is that our world seeping you know, is, that it, is it just like how that works? So if I run with that theory, because like I said, we had no confirmation that that's true or not true, you know, you would think to your point, some of these things would have bigger ramifications in the world that lives above us. If we get to the quantum realm by shrinking, the whole movie, I put this together by thinking, we're like germs. The quantum realm is just like a big germ everywhere. Like, that's how I was thinking about it. So I'm like, if the quantum realm's like germs, you would still think there's some sort of effect bigger into our world if you just blew up something that can transport you around the multiverse.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. And I was very shocked that that did not pay off in some
1: way. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I agree. The ending itself was a little weak, but I wanna pivot to the beginning because I also felt the beginning was weak. It was the meat in the middle that I was great, I loved. But I, I will say I wasn't digging the beginning either. I didn't mind, you know, his little exposition with him, you know, living his life. This is what he's been up to. I didn't mind how we were introduced to Cassie and how hope got brought back. Like, I, I enjoyed it all. I liked that. It made me feel like I was catching up. With them after not seeing them for who knows how long, right? Yeah. And I understand there was the attempt to get us into the quantum realm and spend most of the film there. I understand that's where this goal was. However, I felt like I was being, you know, given something in a very short amount of time. And next thing I know, we were in the quantum realm. And I just feel like there was a part of me that wanted a little bit more of that exposition, just a little bit more to grow where we were at. I mean, we haven't seen them since Endgame. And before that, I mean, we saw Scott in Endgame for most of it. But before that, we haven't seen them since Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, I needed a little bit more, I felt like, before we just jumped right into the quantum realm. And then we just jumped right into the quantum realm. And I was like, guess that's all I'm getting. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I just needed a little bit to get me going in the film. See, that didn't bother me, to be honest. I Because to your point, like I
0: think I knew we were going to go there pretty early, just based on the trailers. That was the one thing that I felt pretty confident in knowing. And I kind of wanted to just get into the action. Like, I felt like what we got was enough. It was enough to say how Scott's life has completely changed since Endgame and all of the events that happened were kind of publicized. Now we know how everyone knows what happened in Endgame because Scott wrote a book about it. Also, he was doing all this podcast stuff. Go, Scott. But, you know, so it was nice to get that little bit of intro, but I I liked that it didn't lag. Like, I thought the pacing was really well done in this film just overall, like, it was a, you know, almost two hour or two hour film. And I was like, dang, like, I didn't feel like it was a two hour film at all. And so I just thought it was really, you know, it was it was snippy and it's pacing and that it was like, all right, you want to get to the quantum realm, here's all the information you need to know, in order to follow these characters in there. And then you're just gonna go and we're gonna, you know, hit the ground running. And so I actually really enjoyed that. Because I think sometimes and this isn't just Marvel movies, but just movies in general, they take so long on the setup. You're like, come on, like, we all know we're here for this one thing. Like, let's get to the one thing whereas like this one was just like no we all know you're here for the quantum realm so we're gonna get you
1: right in there and i enjoyed that which is fair and i'm not saying i need an extra like whole five minutes but i just felt like give me another minute or two give me to understand these because like here's the thing we know hope we know hank and we know scott I don't pretend to know Janet. No. I don't pretend to know this grown-up Cassie. So for me, that was what really I think I needed a little bit, just like a little bit more of, was I just needed to understand these two fairly newcomers at this point in this dynamic, understanding how this has played out since Endgame more than what I feel like we got. I just needed a little bit more, and I think we explored a little bit more of it in the quantum realm when I feel like there's a part of me that's like, maybe if we would have explored just a little bit more at the beginning... Some of these moments in the quantum realm that I did feel like fell, okay, like I'm ready for the next part, wouldn't have been as needed. And it was because, you know, we see, especially with Janet, we see her and her family kind of like talking about what happened in the quantum realm, but like we barely know Janet as a character. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I I think that was like the biggest thing for me is if it would have been just Scott, Hank, and Hope, I would have been like, all right, we can go right in the quantum realm right from the get-go. I don't care. Yeah. That's fine. I, I've spent time with these characters. I know them. I get them. I'm good.
0: Yeah. No, that's a, that's a fair point. Actually, one thing I want to bring up really quick about Scott in that intro that... It kind of struck me during this film that I never really thought about before, but like so much of Phase 4, and like now, remember, this is the first official anything of Phase 5, because I don't really know what they're thinking with the Guardian special, because it was pretty clear, you know, Wakanda Forever was the end of 4, and then the Guardian special happened after, and you're kind of like, limbo? But either way, this was kind of the first official, you know, property of Phase 5, And so much of Phase 4 was focused on either creating new characters, which was awesome, or seeing a lot of characters come out of Phase 3. Those characters who came out of Phase 3, 97% of them were traumatized in some way, broken in some way, lost something massive, like just absolutely destroyed coming out of Endgame. I mean, Wanda, Thor, Thor. Bucky, Sam, they all are carrying something awful with them after, I mean, look at Peter, like all the people who came out of that, that film are just dealing with it. And we saw it all right. But what struck me is Scott actually came out of Endgame better off than when he entered it, right? Like nobody knew who Ant-Man was. Any of this stuff, now he's a celebrity, and people love him, and he has a book, and he has a podcast, and, like, all this stuff, and he's, like, Mr. Popular Avenger because he saved the universe, which rightfully so, but, like, Scott's the only guy who came out of this other than losing five years of time with Cassie, which, don't get me wrong, is huge and obviously something that weighs on him tremendously, But other than that, Scott's in a much better position, you know, than he was pre-Endgame, which I thought was really interesting, because he's the only character, I think, who has had that experience, whereas everyone else is like, you know, going off the deep end a little bit, or like really struggling with something, you know, coming out of that.
1: Yeah, I do think that's pretty interesting. And I guess I didn't really, like, because of the nature of his films, it didn't really dawn on me about that, because it's just... His films are... It's like the Guardians. His films are meant to be comedic. Yeah. That's the character of who he is. That's what they bring to him. That's what the writing puts together. I know some people complain about old Marvel comedy and blah, 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 and whatever. Have your thoughts to whatever it is. But to me, this is the type of franchise that, you know, it works with. Um, It's a very fitting franchise. And so... But it does sometimes make some of those moments harder to decipher. Like, you don't really pick up on that. Because honestly, I didn't think about it. I just was like, good for him. Yeah. Like, not thinking a thing of it. I just was like, good
0: for him, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, go Scott. Go little Ant-Man. I forget what his little line is. What is it? Watch out for the small guy or whatever, like... The little guy. Yeah. Keep your eye on the little guy or whatever his little catchphrase is. And then, okay, I just really quick aside. When Hank quotes his book and he was like, you read my book. I was like, the fact that they,
1: like, now have a father-son relationship just was giving me so much life. But that was kind of another thing that I was missing, which I think I needed the extra minute or two of exposition to explain, was I was like, I understand him and Hope are together. What does that mean? Cassie's calling Hank grandpa. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, did I miss a wedding? Like, and I'm not saying you have to have had a wedding at all, but I'm like, is there, like, what's the nature of this relationship fully, which I feel like we don't really see a lot of. And so, like, then I, from the get-go, I was like, whoa, I feel like I missed another, like, five years. What is happening? Like, I, because she was dusted. Yeah. Keep that in mind. We don't yet know where this falls on the spectrum fully of timelines since Endgame. Mm -hmm. So I'm, like, sitting here and I'm like, I feel... Overwhelmed because I'm seeing the once again, I'm seeing these characters for the first time, if some of them, quite a few years. And I'm like, I just like, I need to understand where we're at. Like, I just jumped into this family dinner and I'm just like, when did all this happen? <laughs> like, I just-
0: yeah, no, that's very fair. I'm very excited for kind of the timeline reveal when yeah. they put it on the Disney Plus timeline, or you know, I think that's pretty much how they're doing it now. It's just like, where do they slot it in? So, I'm excited for that moment. It's probably going to be like, what are they
1: doing? Like two months now, 10 weeks, like, you know, between. Yeah, but what sucks is they're putting them together through fa- the phases. So phase four will be put in order, but phase five could, you know what I mean? They've been ordering them through the phases. So this movie, even though it's phase five, could have still been before other things. <sighs> Bummer.
0: Okay. Well, they're going to have to tell us eventually. I mean, they have to. Yeah. It just needs to be a thing. Anyway, we'll let you all know when that comes out and we have definitive timing because this is a really important movie, which we're going to get into, but... Before we get into all the multiversal things, because we could spend probably 90% of the episode talking about that, let's dive a little bit more deeply into the characters. We talked a little bit about how Janet and Cassie are kind of more new characters, because Janet we've only seen for a few minutes in reality, and Cassie's like an adult now, which last we saw, she was like nine. So she's basically a new person. You know, obviously, Scott and Hope's relationship has progressed to the point where She's basically a stepmom to Cassie, which is awesome. Love their dynamic. And we're just seeing, you know, the family dynamics. But I think there's a lot to talk about, too, like individually in terms of growth. I think, you know, let's start with Cassie because she's probably one of the bigger ones that we need to talk about knowing what her potential future is. And this is the first time we saw her suit up as Stinger, which is a really big moment.
1: Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on Cassie obviously we talked about this she was recasted for reasons i'm not entirely sure i've seen people talk about it on twitter i don't know i don't have sources so i'm not going to sit here and spew possible misinformation so i don't know why um the actress who had played her in endgame was recasted you know first off i'm just gonna start with the one bad moment of CGI I noticed was the first time she suited up. And I don't know what happened, but it looked so bad in those moments. And I was like, dude, this is the first time a superhero is suiting up fully and is fighting in her suit. And it just looked pure crap. That was the one moment I noticed out of the whole film that I was like, yikes. Anyway, that's not the important part. The actress I thought was pretty good, but I had some problems. Like, when she was supposed to be, like, emotional or scared or, like, fearful, I felt like we were missing all of that on her face. Like, there was, I'm pretty sure it was towards the end where something was happening with her dad, obviously they were in battle, and she, like, screams out dad, like, out of what's supposed to be, like, terror and fear, and, like like, she's worried about her father, and there's not a single emotion on her face, and I just was like, okay, I'm so believing that right now.
0: <laughs> like one of those moments she really thought that was just a voiceover and didn't realize she was on camera?
1: Yeah, like I, I was like, listen, I'm not even close to an actress, but I was like, I think I could show some emotion on my face. <laughs> like I I was like, did they mean to put that in there? Because like, I'm sorry. So like, And there were just, it was a couple of those deeper moments that I felt like I missed that a little bit on her character. And that I, you know, that could have just been the way the film was put together. I don't know. But that was just, like, my two cents from the actual portrayal of the character. Otherwise, I was liking Cassie. I thought she, you know, she's her father's daughter, and you can tell. Like, from the get-go, we get that with her, you know, already being in jail. <laughs> but she stands up for what she believes in, and I, and that's, you know, admirable to me. And, I, and look at, you know, Scott and who he was, so I... I'm not surprised at who she is. I hope as they continue with this actress, you know, she grows into the role a little bit. You know, we work out some of the kinks and, you know, Cassie's somebody who's something to to watch out for.
0: Yeah, I think the character has a lot of potential. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed seeing was, you know, it wasn't just, you know, I'm Stinger because I'm Ant-Man's daughter, but I'm Stinger because I'm also a freaking genius. I can hang in there with Hank Pym and discuss the quantum realm with him. Like, I like how they built that into her character as well. And I'm not really familiar with Cassie in the comics, so I don't know if that's kind of a uh, precedent set, For the character in the way she's written in the comics, but... Either way, I enjoyed that they made that a part of her character because it wasn't just, oh, I just feel the need to do the right thing, and I'm gonna suit up because my family has all this tech lying around. It's like, no, like I am also really brilliant, and let me just like create an entire satellite to the quantum realm because I totally understand, you know, my grandpa's scribbles about the quantum realm. Like, I enjoyed that depth as well. You know, and I think it was interesting the dynamic between her and Scott, where she kept pushing him to do the right. Thing. Not that he was doing the wrong thing, but to act. And I thought that was interesting. I think it was the one time that we saw how the events of Endgame affected Scott, in the sense that he kind of was like, I saved the world, I just want to put my feet up and relax, which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is kind of what Thanos
1: did between (laughs) When he became a farmer.
0: Yeah, between Infinity War and Endgame, when
1: he was like, well, I killed half the universe, goal accomplished. No, actually, his was, I saved the world, I'm done. Oh, exactly! (laughs) Exactly, that was his
0: mentality. In reality, it was, I killed half the universe. So let me just go become a farmer and live a peaceful life. Scott was like, I brought half the universe back, all me, which low key it was. And I'm just gonna like go live my life with my daughter, which I thought, again, was interesting because like, that was not really his mentality after, you know, in either of the Ant-Man movies, he was like, Mr. Action, like, I can't see my daughter, let me go steal away to go see my daughter. I don't really remember Ant-Man of the Wasp super, super well. But even if you think about like, you know, Captain America Civil War, like, you know, Falcon called him and he was like, sure, let me help out Captain America. Why the heck not? Like, he was just ready to go. And now he's like, No, I've saved the world. I am done, retired. But Cassie kind of has that young energy and also that naivete of someone who didn't fight a gigantic purple grape and have to bring back half the universe. So it was a really interesting dynamic between the two of them as she like pushed him, but he also taught her as a veteran of, you know, these Avengers battles, like how to like survive and like all that stuff. So I enjoyed that as well.
1: Yeah, I thought, and I know some people don't agree with the statement, but I thought. You know, for daughter and father relationship, I thought they had really good chemistry between the two of them. You know, I was engrossed. It didn't feel like I was sitting there and, you know, I missed this kid's childhood. You know, like, I felt like I saw this relationship, I understood this relationship. And I really enjoy that, you know, the biggest thing that Ant-Man's trilogy truly has been about has been his daughter. Yeah. At the end of the day, she has been his main focus, through pretty much every point of the film. And the reason he did a lot of what he did at all times was because of Cassie. And we really see that get encapsulated when he's sitting here with thousands of ant-mans and the way he was able to get them to work all together was to get back to cassie yep and to help cassie that one
0: singular focus was to be with my daughter
1: yep and they all knew what that meant and that is what caused them to all be able to work together as one to help him So, you know, as much as the story's been about struggling with time with her, it's all still been about her. Yeah. And to that factor is why I'm also kind of happy he, like, didn't kick it, this film. (laughs) Because I feel like now that we have a grown-up version of Cassie, I get to kind of see a bigger relationship between the two of them and how they're molding that together. Rather than just seeing a little girl who, of course, is going to look up to her dad. I mean, this Cassie looks up to her dad for a lot of other reasons and as somebody who's like 16 to be able to look up to your father and act and like you know be in that mindset i mean teenagers are weird like you know not every teenager is gonna sit there and be like i literally like my dad's awesome and i want to be around him and he's like my favorite person like not everybody's feeling that yeah so like (laughs) towards parents in general so you know to have that type of relationship even though they missed a couple of years. I thought they meshed really well together.
0: Totally. And I hope, to your point of not seeing Scott die, I do hope we get to see him mentor her. Like, I enjoyed those scenes where he was like, shrink, grow, and then punch. Or like, whatever his little mantra was, where he was like, teaching her how to like, use the momentum of the size changing and all that. Like, that's something that, you know, to bring it back to another kind of mentor men relationship, and obviously it's different because they're not father-daughter, but, like, Hawkeye and Kate Bishop, like, we saw that too, and I think that was something that you and I really enjoyed in that show was watching him teach her how to be a hero and an effective hero and, like, not do stupid things. It's a good dynamic. Yeah, it is. And I think having the father-daughter layer adds another, you know, level of complication but also interest to that story then because it's not just some guy who has a girl following him around all the time but it's like no like you're my daughter i literally would destroy the multiverse for you like but i'm also gonna teach you how to be a baddie and fight and i think that's pretty awesome
1: well and maybe this is the gen z and me about to talk but like there's a part of me that really enjoys these relationships as well because we are seeing a form of the mantle passing but the mantle is passing to pretty much our generation yeah you know we're seeing like You know, growing up, all our heroes were, you know, assumed to be in their 30s and 40s and maybe even a little older, you know, and we're seeing a lot of these mantles being passed to the generation that is ours. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe there's a part of me, too, that's enjoying that relationship because I sit here as somebody who's in their very early 20s and... You know, I'd be acting the way Kate Bishop acted, you know, if I suddenly was half becoming an Avenger. And like my role model is suddenly my mentor. Like, I I get it. And I'm there. And that's what makes these characters, in my opinion, some of my favorite coming onto the screen because they're just so relatable. Like, not the same type, but like Katie from Shang-Chi, loved her. She was – Aquafina. literally, I I was, like, dying from her. Like, she was so good. She
0: was great. Also, Kamala Khan. Exactly. One of the most relatable (laughs) in her fandom, in the way she acted. Like, to your point, like, I feel like in Phase 4 – I've been able to relate to characters way more than I was in one through three. And that's obviously not to shade the characters of one through three. That's why we're here. We fell in love with those characters, but they're more aspirational versus like these characters. I'm like, we would be best friends. Me and Kamala Khan would be like the best of friends if I was in high school at the time she was in high school. Like we would 100% be like attached to the hip. I know that for a fact. And so I'm like, oh, this is someone who I could see myself being friends with versus like. Black Widow, I'm like, I literally could never relate to you, but I think you're cool. You know, like, it's a very different type of relationship.
1: Yeah, no, I think Kate, Yelena, and I would make quite the trio. (laughs) I'm literally terrified. (laughs) With our martial arts (laughs) and everything else. Yeah, I'd be
0: dead in five seconds. Like, you would, you know, put them on me and I'd be like, well, I'm just gonna go lay in my grave now because that's where I'm going.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that's what I'm loving about these characters. So while I did feel like some of it with Cassie was like, Just need some work on the, like, deeper moments. I did like her a lot. I want to, before we get into Janet, because I feel like Janet goes right into Kang, I want to talk about, don't really know any of their names, kind of just happened. All the people who live in the quantum realm. That was a fun surprise and I enjoyed them. So I was going to disagree. Ooh. So first off, I'm going to give my two cents Whoever Mr. Holman is, is like my favorite human being or like thing ever. So cute. When he's like, you just drank me. I'm like, what are you? But you're so cute. He was so funny. And when he first started being able to understand him, I forget what he was saying. But I was laughing like it was no one's business. I was like, Oh my god, this this like jello thing is my fave.
0: <laughs> when the first thing you hear is, "Hi, how many holes do you have?" And I was just like, what is happening right now? Well,
1: that too. I was kind of like, I'm not sure <laughs> where this is going, but okay, I enjoyed him. and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the characters we were introduced to. I and I, and I did like that there was life in the quantum realm. I liked that there's pretty much a whole society. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's pretty much its own universe. Why would there not be life in it? That feels a little weird that there wouldn't have been. Well,
0: and one thing I want to say that I thought about and I can't confirm it, but we talked last episode about the microverse. Like, aren't these some of the characters potentially that were in that line of comics?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't remember any of their names, so...
0: Yeah, I just mean, like, I feel like I saw, like, a cover of a Microverse comic in one of the videos I was watching to prep, and I think some of the character designs looked kind of similar, so they may have comic book counterparts, but we'll definitely look that one up and put that in the blog for you guys, but I just wanted to put that out there because I thought about that during the film.
1: Well, my thing with it was I liked the concept. I think it was working when we saw Janet and her little trio of family. That worked for me. I understood, like, the car- the people of the Quantum Realm, that was working. I have to say the whole people sort of putting their revolution against Kang, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't as devoted to it. I don't really know why. I don't know. There's a part of me that was kind of like, we've seen this before. And so I felt a little exhausted by that storyline. The other part of me, I think, was like, if you pulled pretty much most of that out, the same film. Because... I loved Hank coming in with all the ants. Oh my God, that was brilliant. I thought that was so fitting. I mean, that is our first Ant Man right there. So I thought that was beyond fitting to see. But when that happened, I was like, so that just overshadowed everything that just happened before that. Yeah. With the people of the Quantum Realm. So then I, so like, I feel like that's when that solidified to me that I was like, I didn't really need this storyline. You know, Scott and Cassie could have talked to him, got some info, been kidnapped. And we could have never really bothered with them again, like Janet and her trio did with their storyline. And I would have been fine. Like, I really didn't need that storyline to continue. It did. It happened. Whatever. I just, I don't know. Maybe it was, like I said, it was something I feel like we've seen before. I was bored of it. I just didn't need it.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I just thought they were interesting characters. I thought the leader, the woman leader, was awesome. She was a total baddie. I liked William Jackson Harper. I just think he's so fun. He's cheaty. He's always gonna be cheaty. Yeah. You know, my friend that I went to see it with when I was talking about the shape of the multiverse being a circle, which we'll get into in a little bit. She was like, No, it's not a circle, it's Jeremy Bear me, like cheaty's right there. So that was like a fun little like almost like I don't know, meta moment. But you know, speaking of kind of the society and which the Van Dyne slash Pym family was seeing, it was actually very reminiscent, if anybody watches Star Wars, like there was like a cantina scene, which is obviously like super famous. And like even the soldiers of Kang, the way they acted in that scene where he's, assembling his army to go rise out of the quantum realm like if anybody has seen attack of the clones like that was like such an attack of the clones moment where they're all getting ready and like all of that so there was definitely some homages to like star wars and things in there that i thought were really fun that were really kind of more related to the pre-existing society in the quantum realm
1: yeah i and i think a lot of people were picking up on that because i've seeing a lot of that online yeah but that's what i mean like that interaction for me I was like, this moved the story into the right place versus I was kind of just feeling like with Scott and Cassie was like, oh, we just added like a random extra dynamic that now I have to like think about and I have to worry about. (laughs) And I'm just worried about whatever's going to happen with King, And so I'm not really worried about all these people living in the quantum realm who are rising up against King. I mean, the ants would have done it themselves. The ants really did do it themselves. So I don't know. I just had mixed feelings. But- since we're talking about that scene, let's move into Janet a little bit. I said in the blog post, and I don't know if I said it in our last episode, but I know I wrote it in the blog post, that I was expecting a switch of protagonist. And I was expecting that switch of protagonist to be Janet. And it for probably 40 minutes of that film, was. We switched and we very quickly saw her become the main character of this film. She was in the Quantum Realm for like 30 years. We knew this. We knew nothing about it. And, you know, we're seeing the flashbacks, which I thought were very well done to show where her relationship with Kane comes from. Mm -hmm. They were bittersweet because, obviously, you see that she had a way to get home a lot earlier and she chose not to to save the universe, essentially. I will say Janet was getting on my nerves, though. Yes. Because I literally was like, just tell people you're stuck in the quantum realm. They need to find the other half of the family. And you're just keeping secrets like willy nilly, like, just talk, you're getting on my nerves.
0: No, I Yeah, I did find that frustrating. I also think and this is, you know, one of those things where of course she had to keep a secret because otherwise the you know, story wouldn't have happened. But like, You know, it was really frustrating to me, at least when she was saying, well, you know, why didn't you talk to me? Well, this is at the beginning of the film when she says to Cassie, well, why didn't you talk to me about it? And Hope's like, mom, literally right here, literally asked you about it five minutes ago. You don't want to talk about it. So don't act like now, like all butthurt because, you know, you don't want to talk about it or, you know, Cassie didn't ask you. And then you think about that and you're like, well, if she had just spoken about her experience there and all of the things that are down there, maybe they never would have made that machine. And I get it. Then you don't have a film. So, like, that has to be the tension in order to prolong the plot. Right. But everything here was Janet's fault. Like, not to be rude, but, like, one, she didn't tell anybody anything. So they're just moving naively through this when she has all of the answers. Two... She's the one who pulled the plug that caused the machine to go haywire. I know MODOK was doing it on the other side, but I highly doubt that all that would have happened if she had just turned it off like a normal human instead of unplugging it. Everybody knows that's the worst thing you can do ever. And three, even within the quantum realm, when their lives are at stake, to your point, she refused to share her knowledge. It's like, at a certain point, you are responsible for this because you did not share the important knowledge that you know, and it's not just about survival, it's about the overarching politics of what's happening here. You think you're helping, you brought in this guy, Bill Murray's character, whose name escapes me, who actually just sold you out to Kang, so you're not even helping. Yep. So just just stop, just tell people what they need to know, and then you can come up with a plan together because clearly you taking charge here is not going to work.
1: Yeah. She was definitely getting on my nerves, but I did like, like I said, I did like and enjoy the switch of protagonists. I like seeing her background with Kang. I mean, we talked about that. In the predictions episode that we clearly expected her to have a background. I mean, how could you not?
0: Well, and I liked that it switched it up by opening the film by her meeting him, I was like, ooh, that was interesting, you know? Yeah. I I liked that a lot. I think recently a lot of Phase 4 has had some really interesting opening scenes, even going back to one of my least favorites, Love and Thunder, but, like, that opening scene was really, one, quite moving, but also really well executed. So, you know, I think recently that opening scene has almost had the same power, but in reverse as – The end credit scenes in the sense that it's like what way are you gonna shock me out of the gate then lull me into quiet and then shock me again at the end so that's been really cool
1: yeah i agree and like i said that felt really well done i just she was getting on my nerves because i just was like dude you like your family is at risk here like and if cassie and scott had had any inkling of information that she had had I'm sure they would have handled some of that situation a lot differently. Yeah. But they didn't. They were going, they were fully blind in the multiverse or in the quantum realm. And, you know, so that was, that was aggravating, but she was an interesting character. I don't feel like I know her any better. No. (laughs) She still feels very one note. Like the only thing I can actively tell you is she's Hope's mother and she was in the quantum realm for 30 years. That's still probably the only thing I think I can genuinely tell you about Janet Van Dyne. So there's that, you know, like <laughs> that was Janet. That was, you know, that was Janet. I will
0: say, I think she's a good person. I think we learned that, you know, she may make not always the decisions I think we agree with, but I think one thing that I was really struck with, to her credit, is the choice that she made not to go home to her daughter, but to s- destroy Kang's time chair in order to save the multiverse which we'll have to get into because I don't really understand how the multiverse existed in that point of time but we'll get into that.
1: Yeah, cuz I have some crazy thought.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're going to that's our next section, but I just want to finish up really quickly on Janet. I will say I admired that choice. You know, making that sacrificial choice of not being to able to be with your family, you know, and to instead go for the the betterment of the large group of people. That was admirable.
1: Yeah. I do agree. I just, like I said, I feel like I didn't... I still didn't see growth. I didn't see who she was. So I just was like, okay, she's just kind of still there. That's fine. I guess, like, whatever. But I, before we hit the multiverse and quantum realm and all that good stuff... Let's talk about Kang. Yep. So I expected, I mean, okay, I'm going to say, you know, obviously Jonathan Majors did an amazing job, but it's exactly kind of what I expected it to be, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I will say I did like them building him up a little bit with those flashbacks. It gave him more to me than just like, he's there. He's ruling the quantum realm. Yeah, and I think one of the things that stood out to me was even
0: though Janet betrayed him, he still wanted to know what she saw because in the same way that she was so traumatized by looking into his mind, he was almost less saddened by the betrayal and more saddened by the fact that this person he thought was his friend— Thinks he's a monster like it was struck me not that he was like you betrayed me and I hate you and I'm going to kill you But he wanted to genuinely know what did you see? What did you see that made you look at me the way you did that made you hate me so much? That you would forego seeing your own child so that I would not accomplish my goal and I thought that was really humanizing, and I enjoyed that a lot, because so much of it, to your point, he's the conqueror, and he's single-minded in his goal, but with Janet, that's the one place where he, you saw him soften, you saw him lose focus a little bit, because she's the one person he connected with, and the one person who was willing to help him out of the goodness of her heart, and have that bond, and I thought that was really beautiful, and I thought that was really well executed, and just a stunning performance by Jonathan Majors across the film, but especially in
1: that moment, was really powerful i agree and that's what i think you said it humanized him a little bit more because i think what we saw of kang the conqueror the mighty kang the conqueror was you know what we expected yeah. what we saw in the trailers what we anticipated some might say we see a little too much in the trailers sometimes <laughs> and i can sometimes get behind that argument because i do think in this example you know we saw him for who he was immediately you know we knew he was going to be a formidable force. We knew that going into it. We weren't really ever expecting much of a twist. We knew what he was trying to do. But to your point, it humanized him. It brought him down from, you know, just this conqueror to this man who just, you know, almost died entering into the quantum realm and crash landed and built this relationship with somebody. But I do want to ask and or point out, I don't know. It could be a question. It could be a statement. (laughs) You know, Janet says something really important that when she first plugs in his ship, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say. It's his time chair, but that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's like a ship, though. He gets where he needs to go in it. it. It's a ship to me. She's, and obviously, like, she sees all these visions, whatever. But he suits up. Like, his suit comes onto him. And she makes a comment about, you know, I gave him back just enough with his suit. It brought back who he really was. And that, like, planted a little seed in my brain, right down my brain. And then... <laughs>
0: I'd like to remind you, Kate, that the listeners can't see the the hand motions that you're doing.
1: <laughs> but you can, and you're understanding. <laughs> and then, you know, they're talking about with his powers, and they're saying, you know, we can't beat him with, the, with his, like, the things on... Something with, like, his arms or whatever. So then I was like, so here's my question. Does he have powers or is whatever his powers tied to his suit, like Iron Man?
0: It's tech. He's an Iron Man. Like, he's a normal guy. He almost died. Well,
1: I know that because I know who his background, like, I know his, we talked about it in the predictions a little bit. I understand his background. I just was like, you know, it's always possible in any multiverse I mean, in some weird version, he could have become Thor. Like... (laughs) No, but he killed Thor. That was confirmed. Yeah, I did. I like... There was a gasp because I was like, Thor died. (laughs)
0: Yeah, when she was like, are you the one with the hammer? And I was like, oh my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But notice how that's the one, the example they gave and they didn't give somebody like Carol or Wanda.
0: Well, yeah, to be fair, I think they chose Thor because he's he has like that iconic symbol of the hammer.
1: But I'm more so... Saying because of what we're, where the Thor franchise might go is kind of what I was saying.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, because Chris has made it clear that he believes he'll probably be done at the end of Thor 4. Because they didn't even know who there was going to be a Thor 4. They did 4. Do you mean five? Five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I pretend Love and Thunder sometimes doesn't exist. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I also think, too, you know, looking at Kang's, not powers, but the, his suit and the type of power that comes out of his suit, he's really well-suited to fight a Wanda or a Carol, and they're equally well-suited to fight him back. I don't know
1: if I can argue Wanda, not in the way she is now. I think she could take him. I know, but I'm just saying, I don't- I. At least that version of Kang, I'm not sure, was worth a fight. I mean, look at how she bodied the entire Illuminati, you know?
0: Oh, no, you're exactly pointing out my point. I don't think he could have killed Carol or Wanda. I think he could kill a Thor. Thor, you know, we've talked about the most powerful Avengers. It's always Carol and Wanda. It's not Thor's up there, but he's not there. He's just not at their level. Let's just be honest. That's what the point I was very long-windedly trying to get to is they are matched- For a Kang in a fight, I see him having more trouble fighting and killing a Carol and a Wanda than a Thor, is all I'm going to say.
1: Okay, I see where you're at. As long as Wanda's good, I don't really, I will not argue for Carol, because I don't, (laughs) I just don't. But for Wanda, I will argue for my gal and I can agree full heartedly with Wanda.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that could also have played into it. I also just think from a logistical standpoint, if you're not going to remember an Avenger's name, who's the easiest? It's either going to be Cap or Thor. But I think to your point, Thor makes more sense. Yeah. And also they're not going to kill Mackie. He just became Captain America. So, yeah, you know, I'm I'm knocking on wood because please don't. But like, you know,
1: likely they're not going to. Agreed. So, now that we established King, who he is, we've seen him. Cool, 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 cool. As we move into this multiversal discussion and quantum realm discussion, I first want to say, and I'm going to read this verbatim from my notes, where can we get the magic multiverse traveling battery orb? Where did that happen? Are there more? Who has them? What's the source? Can I try to answer that? That's why I'm asking. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was rhetorical. I think that is the
0: piece of tech that, in the comics, Kang develops. Like, doesn't he inherit a time machine from, like, his ancestor? And that's why a lot of people thought he was related to Doctor Doom, and it was kind of confirmed that he was, and all that. Like, there's something about Kang and, like, inheriting a time machine. I think that is the time machine. Like, that's the one from the comics that, like, literally takes Nathaniel Richards from being some normal Joe Schmo in the year 3000... I'm now thinking the Jonas Brothers song, but from the year 3000 to Kang the Conqueror. I think that's the one from the comics and I think that's how he got it. I think So are there more? I think every Kang has one. Okay. How else would they
1: travel the multiverse? An intriguing thought. So now here's a thought <laughs> that I have like aggressively underlined in notes here. Where is our Kang? Repeat the question
0: in in words that, like, give more context because I'm not sure I'm following. Well, and
1: maybe I'm stupid.
0: Do you really want to put that out there for me to answer? Just, like, questioning.
1: It's not a question. (laughs) It was a statement. So you can't answer it. No, because I'm trying to understand because, like, and I don't want to quite get into the end credit scene just yet, but obviously we see, like, a, a ton of Kangs. Mm-hmm. And my brain's like, so Kangs kind of just spawn everywhere. But then I was like, we don't have a Fantastic Four yet, which means technically we can't, we don't know if we have a Reed Richards yet, which means we wouldn't have his descendants yet. So I was like, so we don't really have a current Kang in our universe Can I raise you one on that? Dude, I don't know.
0: (laughs) I don't think I understand. We do. And here's why. Because we, and guys, we talked about this before we got on the mic. So just want to tell you, I'm teeing up a very important discussion. We were totally right about the sacred circle. And by we,
1: I mean primarily me. Give me most of the credit because I literally said it (laughs) all. All
0: right. It's like
1: 70-30. But here's what I'll say. 75.
0: 25, 75, 25. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I can settle for that. Fine. Anyway, you know, if we're talking about the sacred circle, which confirmed, we saw it in visuals. Every time we saw a timeline, it was a circle. Mm -hmm. So forget your linear crap, people. We are moving in circular time. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We have a king because somewhere on that circle, Nathaniel Richards is already born. We're just not there yet. We haven't seen it happen But our Nathaniel Richards of the Sacred Circle of 616 already exists.
1: Okay, cool. So do you want to hear where my crazy theory comes in?
0: (laughs) Yeah, but also I'm going to debunk my own theory potentially and give an alternate. So you go first and then I'm going to give an alternate.
1: Okay, this came to me in the middle of the film and I held, I like didn't share it because I was like, maybe they'll confirm this during the film and then it's really not a theory if it's just been confirmed. Yeah. But at the end of Loki, our good gal, Sylvie, kills he who remains? Yes. Cool. Got it right.
0: Not he who shall be na- named. Who shall not be named.
1: Yeah. I've been practicing. <laughs> 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 because I was like, it's the opposite of what I think it is. Yeah. Whatever I'm naturally going to say, it's not that one. Exactly. But so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, and the reason the sacred circle thought came was because he goes, see you soon, right? Yeah. But they were at the end of time. And then I started thinking, I was like, wait, like end of end of time. But if time's a circle, let me just go with this. If time is a circle and they're like somewhere at the end, was that the end of said circle? And is Ant-Man the start of said circle without knowingly realizing Ant-Man is the start of said circle? And everything that is happening because he kills this king, which is supposed to happen, right. leads to the king wars and all that crap, which eventually he who remains will take care of all the other kings, snip the multiverse, and create one sacred timeline again. And the TVA and all that crap. And this just keeps happening until something will break it, which I'm gonna assume this time around something would break it because it's... Now, like, we're watching it. So, like, I would assume we're not going to just keep in a circle.
0: You actually answered one of my questions that I had. So I'm going to answer your question and then Did I, I ask a question? Well, what I was. Well, you, I, you also kind of proved my theory. I was going to debunk my own theory, but you kind of proved it. So I'm just going to try to remember all of the thoughts that are going in my head. I'm definitely going to miss them. My first thought is to directly respond to your theory. It's not off. I just think you're placing Ant-Man in the wrong spot. So if you're saying that he who remains, snip, 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 snip one sacred circle, right? Mm-hmm. If we're considering that, like, I actually would consider that the beginning, right? End of the Kang Wars, right? Because now we have the sacred circle. We're watching Cap. We're watching I mean it's
1: a circle. Does it really have an end and beginning?
0: You well, you have a place where it it stops evolving and just restarts you know what i'm saying like there is a place in which it stops going from moving forward to like rehashing what we've already seen right so follow me on this one what if the moment at which he who remains wins the kang wars is the moment that we reset quote unquote now You have everything leading up humanity, blah, 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 blah. You have Cap. He does his thing in the first Avenger. Captain Marvel does her thing. Now you have Iron Man all the way through the timeline. Then you get to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Now you're like midway through because now we're starting to see Kangs again, right? And so now we're building up into what's going to be Kang Dynasty, the multiversal war, all of that, the war between the Kangs in which we're going to see he who remains emerge victorious now because clearly marvel's not gonna stop after kang dynasty one we've got films after it and two like they're gonna be telling me when to go to the movie theaters until the day i die then what i think is going to be the diverging moment is something's going to happen where he who remains doesn't well first of all he's dead now so i don't know how that affects anything because Sylvie killed him. Not even sure if that was supposed to happen or not. That's a whole other question.
1: I just assume at this point everything is supposed to happen.
0: I mean, he said see you soon, so he clearly knew it was coming. So I don't I don't know. But then you have Wanda doing her thing. Like, was that supposed to happen? Because she's chaos magic, so does she exist with it? She's a Nexus being. Does she exist within what's supposed to happen and what you know, has already been seen, because at one point, remember, he who remains has said, like, oh, I can't see the, like, I can't see what's going to happen anymore, and it lines up with when Wanda becomes a Scarlet Witch, so was that the moment at which we, like, went off the rails? I don't know, but what could be the moment, and this is what I'm, like, starting to develop now, is the idea that perhaps the moment we go off the rails is after Kang dynasty, because instead of letting he who remains win, what if they kill all the Kangs? We have no snip, 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 no pruning. And now that's where we get incursions because Kang brought that up. He's like all the multiverses, like they're, they're going to run out of room and they're going to start hitting each other. Right. And you're going to have incursion after incursion. So what if by not having He who remains essentially gardening the multiverse, then they start to have incursions because the universe is built into one another because they're so like just branching off everywhere willy nilly. And that's how we get to Secret Wars. Then from there, we can go to a whole new set of like different stories
1: with a whole new big bad. Does that make any sense? Like, yes and no. I did start to dissociate during part of it. But first, I'm going to start with the first simple thing to put into simple terms for myself. You're agreeing with roughly my theory. <laughs> yeah, I'm just placing Ant-Man at a different spot. Right. Okay, that's what I wanted to understand from the beginning. I see where you're going with it, and I don't disagree. That's my point, though, is like the time being on a circle kind of thing. We're fully seeing things out of order right now is what I strongly believe, at least as of right now. We're viewing them out of order. Doesn't mean they're happening out of order. But this goes back to our conversation at the very beginning of this episode, which is to say we don't really have a lot of confirmation of the order in which any of phase four and now phase five are taking place. Because a lot of them are not overlapping with one another, we don't have a lot of confirmation about what comes where, which characters are going here. We don't have a lot of that at all, which makes it very hard for us to understand what's going on. Loki is on a whole different level. We, I still barely understand Loki. Yeah. And I'm running theories coming out of it. Yeah. But I still barely understand what's going on from that show.
0: I highly regretted. I was sitting in the theater last night, highly regretting not having rewatched episode six of Loki. Because I have some questions, first of all, and we may have just answered it with that theory, but I, I want to get your thoughts on whether we did or not, because honestly, I don't even know what I just said five minutes ago. So here's my thing. And here's what was bothering me. And I was literally sitting in the theater, not even watching, like I was watching the movie, but like not really fully absorbing the movie because I was trying to work this question out. Kang says he comes from a multiverse, right? You see him destroying universes. Now, we know that until he who remains was killed by Sylvie, there was not a multiverse. We had one singular sacred circle that we were living, Earth-616, right? Right. So, how did Kang come from a multiverse unless the moment that he entered the quantum realm, because remember, time moves down there differently, too. The moment he entered the quantum realm was already the end of the Kang Multiversal Wars. So that would have meant that he was cast out and then all the Kangs were destroyed. Bye 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 bye. He who remains remains, sets up the TVA to prune, and now he's in there thinking, oh, I'm going to go out and conquer the multiverse, but truly the multiverse doesn't exist because he's unaware of what he who remains has done. Which side note, all I kept thinking throughout this movie was he who remains is actually no better than Kang the Conqueror because he did the exact same thing under the guise of controlling the multiverse because he basically was killing people too. So that's a whole other thing. But, That's what I was thinking. And then they have the Council of Kangs. So I'm like, how does that happen unless the moment at which he who remains was killed, the multiverse splinters. And the second you have a multiverse, every single universe gets its Kang because the sheer existence of a universe begets the existence of Kang. Okay. I know that's a lot. And I don't even know if we just answered that.
1: I'm primarily going off that last sentence right now to say, here's what I've I've understood. Here's what I've understood and put together in my brain factory. Is that when the multiverses start and they just start branching, they're not starting from like dino times, right? Like we're not like, not even, I mean, there was probably Earth before that. I mean, there was Earth before that. But like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted to like bring up dinosaurs. Anyway, let's just say like they're not prehistoric. My thought process is they... Just kind of start at any point, but also time can be moving differently within all of them. Ew, don't tell me that. Well, that's what I'm gonna think. That time does not necessarily move the exact same way in every multiverse.
0: I mean, it makes sense. It just adds another layer of complication
1: and, like, borderline math that I don't want to do. I also keep in mind multiverses spring from when somebody does something different. Right. So I could also understand that... The reason so many Kangs are popping up is because I'm sure he makes a different choice all the time in different timelines. Well, right, because he knows the end. Well, yeah, and he's the number one variant. Yeah. Not Loki's, but though they pro, they like, To a degree are. They did say that Loki was one of the top variants, which, as the god of mischief, makes a lot of sense. But he wasn't doing it on purpose. The thing is, is to your point, Kang knows what's going to happen. So at any point on the sacred timeline where there is a Kang already in existence... Even if we haven't seen one yet on our timeline where that we know of, they're going to make different choices, which therefore spawns Kangs in different multiverses.
0: Yeah, it's like multiverse coming out of a multiverse coming out of a multiverse.
1: Yeah, they're going to continue to make a lot of different choices. That's why he literally has like hundreds of thousands of versions of himself and why he's a Nexus being. Yeah, here's
0: the thing I don't understand about him being a Nexus being, though, is because isn't the whole essence of a Nexus being that there is only one of you within the multiverse? There's only one Scarlet Witch. There's many Wandas, but there's one Scarlet Witch.
1: Maybe there's only one version of a Kang, like a specific type of Kang. Maybe there's a lot of kangs, which we've seen.
0: Maybe there's only one conquer or there's only one Nathaniel Richards or one he who
1: remains. That's what I mean. Like he's an Nexus being somewhere in his lineage.
0: Yeah, like there's an essence of him that is one but there can be variants of him that are not that
1: one. And I wouldn't be surprised if it is Nathaniel. That wouldn't shock me. Well, because he's the original. Yeah, he's the kid version. He's the version where one of his older versions come back and pretty much shows him what he becomes and he tries to avoid becoming that.
0: No, that's not Nathaniel. That's Iron Lad and that's not Nathaniel. Nathaniel's the original guy who goes back in time. He's the original, original, original.
1: But I thought Nate was Iron Lad.
0: I don't think so. I don't know what Iron Lad's name is, but I'm pretty sure it's not Nathaniel
1: because that's too easy. Well, I'm pretty sure when I was reading an article the other day they called him Nate.
0: We're gonna settle this in the blog. Guys check it out because I don't know. I don't think it is
1: though because I kept calling him Iron Lad the last blog post, and I was like, does he have a name? And I like look I was like looking through an article about something with him and I- I'm pretty sure they said Nate,
0: but that's too that's almost too like obvious who he is.
1: Wouldn't they all be named Nate, though? No, they're all Kang. But
0: before he's Kang,
1: isn't he Nate? Yeah, but he, like,
0: my thought is, like, he, like, just stops being Nate the second he goes back in time. Because, like, guy goes nuts. Like, I'm getting the impression that Nathaniel Richards is just a normal guy who's a little bit bored, takes great-great-grandpa's time machine, and then becomes a crazy person. That's the vibe.
1: Honestly, I'm getting a headache again.
0: (laughs) I know. And I don't even know if we answered this question about how... I don't understand how he who remains fits in. I don't understand at what point he, is he the beginning? That's why I'm
1: going off that theory that he's the very end. I mean, I get- I think he's the beginning or that he's the point. Well, either way, he's a stopping point. He's either the very start or he's the very beginning, in my opinion. But like, that's what I'm getting is because he was the last one standing, either the last one or the first one. Whatever, but if time's a circle, it's all happening at the same time anyway, technically. I have a
0: bad theory. I mean, it's a good theory, but one that's gonna hurt.
1: Oh, yeah, okay.
0: So you know how you were saying we don't know when this takes place? And you know how we were saying that Kang kept saying he knows how it ends? You know who else said he knew how it ended and then he stopped knowing how it ended? He who remains. So hear me out. Sylvie shows up. What happens at the exact same moment we think that Sylvie shows up? Wanda becomes a Scarlet Witch. What if this actually takes place before WandaVision. Is that possible? It seems like it's been too long.
1: It is possible.
0: But like WandaVision is directly after Endgame. But here's the thing. It seems like you're we're further out from Endgame, right? When all
1: this happens. It seems that way, though, because we have so much content, to be fair.
0: No, but even if you look at society, like society seems to have repaired itself, right? A lot more than what we saw society what little bit we saw in WandaVision. Like, I feel like society was very much still reeling. Scott seems to kind of have moved on. He wrote a whole book. Seems like the passage of time. However, I have to wonder, unless maybe Kang is not affected by Wanda's chaos magic because he's in the quantum realm. So maybe he's completely removed and would not actually recognize if there was any changes to this timeline that he thinks is what's going to happen. But also, how does he think he knows what's going to happen if there's not one sacred timeline? Like, he who remains, it makes sense. He's pruned it so that it always happens the same every time. But if Kang is out here just destroying multiverses, is he also working towards one sacred timeline? Like, I have so many questions. In that case, how are Kang, the Conqueror, and he who remains any different?
1: So, like, I refuse to think about certain things and you just spawn questions. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't like it.
0: I'm just going to think about this until Kevin gives
1: me answers. <laughs> yeah. See, like, I am glad I'm right about what I've been right about. And I'm just going to run with it. Just going to run with it. Because if you want to open that can of worms, I'm confused on how the second end credit scene, Loki's chilling with the Kang. Well, that makes That's total sense confusing. to me. No, it's not. Why is it not confusing? Because
0: he's not in 616 anymore. Well, duh. Well, right. But not none of the Kangs are in their freaking place. <laughs> but I'm saying we saw Loki go into a different universe at the end of Loki season one, right? Yeah. So he's now with a different Mobius. Right. And they are now looking for that Earth's Kang. There he found him in that particular variant, and I forget his name, but he is a a very common variant of
1: Kang in the comics. I don't know. So that, to me, makes total sense. It does, but doesn't. It it really does. Just because there's so many Kangs, and I think my brain is
0: tired. But to your point, now that this movie leads directly into Loki season two.
1: Which makes sense because Loki season one directly leads into this film.
0: Yeah. Which to your point, you texted me yesterday, Wow, we missed Loki, that was low hanging fruit. We totally did.
1: We did. When we and listen, not that we're usually on par with the end credits scenes at all. We're really not. But that one was really bad yeah. for us to have missed because I really, I don't, to be honest, don't remember what I said as end credit scenes. You said Ken coming out of the multiverse and then you
0: said secret invasion because it was next. We were thinking way too literally. That's the problem. Yeah, but I said
1: something else too. I don't know. I said Agatha. I didn't just say secret invasion. I don't think. Maybe it's because I block Loki out from my brain half the time, like the show, that I just like didn't even think about it.
0: Also, what really annoys me, two things. One, I got that spoiled the day before the premiere because I went to go clear my Twitter notifications.
1: I literally told you not to go on social media.
0: I know. All I did was clear my Twitter notifications and I saw that as a Loki mention and it was like spoilers and they only did like three lines so I could actually still see the spoiler and I was like, you jerk. That was one. Two was... The thing that bothers me about us not getting that is that actually his, what he's wearing, that is actually a scene from a Disney Plus promo. That, not that scene, but he is wearing that same outfit. So we've actually seen him in that time with Mobius before. And like, looking back, like, when I saw that I was like, "Oh my god, we've literally seen him in that time before." Yeah, but
1: I wouldn't have put that together. You might have, but I wouldn't have.
0: No, I'm not saying I would have, but I it's frustrating because it's like, "Oh my god, it was literally right there. It was so obvious they were putting it in their promos." You know, like looking back it's like, "Oh, hindsight's 20/20," but it's like so 2020. It's frustrating.
1: You know why we didn't say it? Why? Because we blatantly said in the predictions episode that most of the end credit scenes have not yet gone into shows. That's actually so true. That's why we said it. That ruins
0: our, that entire guardrail and now... It's everything's a free for all. There is absolutely
1: no rules anymore. That's why we said it. Now that I think about it, because you said, "Well, Hawkeye didn't." I was like, "But not where the way that that fully went." And I and we argued a little bit over Hawkeye, so or Black Widow going into Hawkeye. Yeah. So okay, that I see that, and that was why we didn't talk about Loki. I also think I there's a part of me that just forgot, but I think that was part of it.
0: Yeah. Moral of the story is there are no rules. Everything's on the table at all times now. And our 50-50, we're not even 50-50. We're like 20% right on those. I'm going to guess we're going down to like 5% in the future. Like, let's be honest.
1: Yeah, we've reached the point where once again, everything I thought I learned, I'm just going to kind of backtrack on because I don't know if I learned anything. So, you know, I don't even know. This feels like Loki all over again, where I'm like, I know there's implications. I know there is. I understand we've got millions of Kangs. That want to destroy the world's universes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, really quick, we
0: debated at length what a dimension is versus a universe. Hank Pym cleared that up for us in one line last night. A dimension is equal to a universe. That has some interesting implications for Kamala Khan and her... Jin Origin.
1: And also with Clea.
0: And Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. So, did he travel to another universe in Doctor Strange 1? Low-key, yes, he did. Pun intended.
1: Also, we're gonna ignore thinking about that. Yep. Because I don't want to.
0: Because I I actually have a headache. So multiverse we're gonna need more information we i am proud of the progress that we've made in being able to understand the multiverse to the level that we have and actually being able to predict its actual shape no it's not jeremy bear it is in fact the sacred circle which we did predict and that is the world's biggest check mark because for us to have figured out the shape of the multiverse before marvel told us is actually i'm like literally gonna go to bed with a smile on my face tonight i'm so proud of us so go us
1: Oh yeah. I literally, I looked over at my boyfriend, we both looked into Goes and I was like, we said this. He was like, you guys said this. And I was like, I know. We love that. Also, we
0: love a supportive fan. So that's awesome. But I think for us to go any further and to truly understand the implications of Kangs and what's coming out of Ant-Man, I think I'm going to need more information. Like I think I've reached the point where I can work my way through what we have so far, and I simply need more data input in order to go any further. And that's it.
1: Yeah, I'm on that level.
0: All right. Well, this has been fun. We love a good movie premiere. We love new content. We're not getting any for the foreseeable future because nobody knows when Secret Invasion's coming out and they're moving all the movies back. So TBD... But in the meantime, we very much enjoyed covering Ant-Man, talking all things multiverse, and I'm excited for more data input in the future so we can figure out more about it. If you are excited to join our journey as we puzzle through the multiverse and give ourselves headaches, you can follow on your podcast platform of choice, also follow on the blog. Plenty of extra information, things that we didn't know while we were recording live tonight. Katie's gonna do some extra research and make sure that that's in the blog for you to clarify. So if you are curious to any of those answers, please, please, please go check it out. Linked in the show notes below. You can also check out our Redbubble shop if you're interested in any merch related to the show. It
1: is much appreciated. Make sure you guys are also following us on Twitter at Let's Talk MFT and Instagram at Let's Talk.mft. New episodes, blog posts, Pretty much a lot of fun stuff goes on on there, so just give us a follow on both platforms. One of the platforms, if you're only on one, whatever, just give us a good follow, and you will get a lot of content your way, and always stay updated. We've had a lot of fun covering Ant-Man. I'm sure there will be more to come, so make sure you guys are keeping up with our episodes as they come out, because Marvel just blew your mind, so let's talk about it.